This is your Places Call. You're listening to Theatrical Thoughts. I'm Emily Wyra. And I'm Jessica Fight. And today we are joined by Broadway's very own Robert Creighton. Robert most recently originated the role of Duke Wesselton in Frozen on Broadway and has been in the original companies of numerous Broadway shows over the years. Robert, we are so excited to talk to you today. How are you? Thanks, Jesse and Emily. I'm great. I've had a, I've had a bit of a long day with um, kids home from school today, uh, seven and nine-year-old kids, but um, happy to talk to you. Delighted. We are so excited. So you mentioned before we started recording, your kids just went back to school. How's that been going? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's that's amazing. They've been, so we've been over a year out of school school except we we made a little shift away from the new york area for the school year this year and um they were in a hybrid so they were home three days at school two days but a week ago they went back five days a week um which was phenomenal for them great for us you know to have a little space in in the day and uh and then they got a cold on the weekend or like (laughs) immunity wasn't up for five days a week yet so i so they were home today um but they'll be back in school tomorrow and uh it finish the year strong five days a week which i'm oh we needed it it's good oh yeah i feel like my life just changed going back five days it was yeah. it's nice to have the routine yeah exactly who would have thought that there would be so many people that actually wanted to go to school it's crazy. my daughter my daughter this more this morning was walking around our bed because we already decided last night she wasn't going to go just out of respect even if she was feeling a little better for everyone at school and I want to go to school. I want to go to school. She wanted to go to school so bad. I was like, well, that's music to my ears slash. I'm sorry. You cannot go to school. So, but it was good that she wanted to. The absolute irony. I can't, I don't think that I, I know any of us would have thought that would be what she was crying about. <laughs> so crazy. Good. So we start each episode with a 60 second life story. So Emily, I'll hold up a timer and then. Oh, wow. Okay. Oh, we hold you to it. Yeah. Official. <laughs> yes, my very official iPhone timer. But <laughs> life story. Okay. Here. Sixty right. second life story. Give the highlights. All right. Yeah. Go for it. Okay. So I was born uh, in a little town north of Toronto in Canada, in Canada, in Ontario. Um, I grew up singing music was my way into the performing arts and playing piano and all the instruments and all that stuff. Um, and also hockey. My two dreams were to be a goalie in the NHL and to be on Broadway. Uh, I went through high school, then went and did a vocal performance degree in university, um, which led me to New York where I did a three-year acting degree, um, got out of school, didn't get my first Broadway show for 10 years, but then I did, did lots of work in there, fun things. But now I've done eight Broadway shows, a lot of TV. I have a beautiful wife, two great kids. Um, uh, I like to write. I wrote a show called Cagney that's been sort of the highlight of my career. We had a big hit off Broadway show and we're going to be in London in the fall doing a workshop. Um, I'm currently living in Buffalo. Hey, I'm in, I got nine seconds left and I told you everything I want to tell you. I have a big family in Canada, which I'm longing to see. Uh, and I'm uh, happy always to talk about the theater. That was amazing. That was so good. Very succinct. I'm impressed. That was that was one of the more solid 60 second life stories. Really? Must oh say. wow. <laughs> so good. you mentioned you kind of got into music through kind of the vocal music side. Yeah. So kind of how did that start? Like how were you getting into it as well, a kid? Yeah. So I was like my kids now. My kids sing 24-7 around the house. And my my uh like my son never takes a shower without belting. Like he just belts the whole time while he's in the shower. It is hysterical. I have so many videos of opening the door and sneaking around the corner and let he'll, dad, stick his head out. Um, so, but for me, yeah, I grew up uh, singing a lot and for anyone who would listen. And then I was really lucky, a boys choir, this, this gentleman from my little tiny um, rural Ontario town, he had gone off to study in London, in England and um, I say London, England, because there's a London, Ontario, not far from where I live, which is a pretty big city in Ontario, but no one, you wouldn't know that. London, and um, came back and started this really high-end boys choir where kids from all over the sort of region came. Uh, and it was based in an Anglican church, but we also sang at lots of secular events and things. Uh, but I got really great musical training. I could sight read music when I was eight, nine years old. Um, We toured England for a summer singing in cathedrals and stuff. Um, So vocally, it was really the first thing. And then um, I always wanted to be a dancer. 
when I was a kid, I loved old movies. I loved Gene Kelly and Fred Astaire and all these guys. And um, I went to two classes when I was seven years old because I, I wanted to tap dance. I wanted to dance. And I was the only boy in my class. And I was really into hockey, really into sports at the time too. And I went home after the second class and mom, I can't go back. I'm the only boy. I don't want the kids. I don't want the guys on my hockey team to find out um, that I'm, that I want to dance, you know, which now as an adult, I, I would say to my seven-year-old, say, who cares, man, just dance. You love it. Uh, but of course then when you're seven, it's such a big deal. Um, so I didn't really get any formal training on that side. I danced all the time. I mean, in other ways and at home and I have four sisters and, and my parents were beautiful, like on the floor ballroom type, not ballroom per se, but beautiful old fashioned dancers. And so I learned how to do the, all those old steps and lead my sisters, uh, even as a little guy around the, the dance floor. Um, so, but vocally was really the main thing and sang in all the music festivals where they, you compete, you get adjudicated and compete and, did that in piano and trumpet and voice. So music was kind of leading the way. Um, and then I did, at 15, I did a community theater production in a town about a half hour away. I played the Artful Dodger and Oliver. And um, that's when I really decided, okay, this is what I'm going to do with my life. I just loved it. It just felt like the thing that it lit me up. You know, there was a spark in me that when I was on stage and performing, even before that, but that's when I really said, okay, this is it. And I honestly, uh, as corny as it sounds, that, that has never, never left. Like performing, it's been such a tough 14 months, right? For, from doing eight shows a week for a number of years, little breaks here and there, but I've been pretty lucky to work um, a lot over the last 20 years. And um, uh, to be not performing is, you know, I miss it, really miss it because it does, does light my fire. Um, yeah, and I started dancing when I was, I did a summer program when I was 18 and learned like a handful of steps, uh, tap steps. And I was at this school called the Banff Center, Banff Center School of Fine Arts in Western Canada. Really exciting to be there. They accept 40 kids from all over Canada. My oldest sister and I both got in, which was crazy. And there are only three 18 year olds, which I was at the time. Learned a few tap steps. I would practice them every night like to the wee hours on like a tile bathroom floor downstairs where no one could hear. I got so good at those steps. I didn't know, I had very limited repertoire, but I just loved it. And then I went to university, found a teacher, took some private lessons, a few. And then when I got to New York, while I was at acting school, I went nuts on the side, like four or five classes a week, really trying to get good. Um, and thankfully I did, I got pretty good in a hurry because I wanted it so bad. Uh, and tap has been a big part, tap dancing and dancing in general on Broadway has been part of my journey. Um, but yeah, I still, I don't know what your question was or if I answered it, but music was my way in. And uh, it still is a, a thing that I'm, uh, you know, I would say if someone asked me now, what's your main thing? I say pr primarily, I would call myself an actor. Um, like I'm lucky that I work in the musical theater, but I also do plays and I also do TV and, and um but, but singing really is uh, my joy, I would say, in, in a lot of ways. Yeah, and music in general, writing music now too. Yeah, for sure. I think that's, that's such a wild journey to go through. That's so cool. And it's so cool that you got to share it with your family through the years too. Yeah, my family's always been very supportive. My dad was a family doctor in our small town and my mom was uh, a nurse. Well, she, she, when she started having kids, and had six of them so it was a long time she sort of stopped nursing and then when i was in seventh grade she went back to become my dad's nurse at his office um but they they were very supportive of my dream of being on broadway you know uh when i was when i did a um a play well i can remember a couple moments along the way there like when i was 12 or 13 and i still had the hockey dream which you know i'm not a big guy i'm a little guy and um uh, and I was, I was good at it, but all the guys were getting bigger at that point. And I was, you know, and I loved doing so many other things. I remember my dad saying, you know, you're not going to go to the NHL. I was like, yes, I am. I can do it. But no, you're, you're really good at the other stuff, singing and stuff. You should stick with that, uh, for now, you know? Um, and I never thought, I don't think they thought I was so serious about it, um, until, after I was did that Artful Dodger, when I, I think I was 16 or so, a little while later, 
I called this school in Toronto and made myself an appointment to get to audition for this like performing arts school in Toronto. <laughs> They're like, what are you doing? And I said, well, I thought if I get in, I'd, I'd find my way there. One of my siblings would drive me and I would, you know, I was trying to sneakily audition to go away to school <laughs> when I was 16. He's like, no, no, no. Um, but uh, then I did a play while I was in university Brighton Beach memoirs. And I distinctly remember my dad saying to me afterwards, you're doing the right thing. Like stay on this path. You're, you're doing, you got it. So keep going. Um, yeah. So they, yes, I did share it with them all along the way. All my siblings have been very supportive and they all come to my shows in New York and from Canada and, you know, it's been great. That's fantastic. Yeah. So now you're kind of, you're trying to sneak in your Toronto auditions, but I'm assuming you didn't have to sneak past your parents to get to New York. <laughs> well, no, because they had to pay for it. So there was no sneaking. <laughs> there was no sneaking in that one. Uh, but they put their money where their mouth was and and um, really supported me, you know, going there. And, and I, you know, it's funny you say that because I there's so many, you know, as a parent now, I think, and I'm sure your parents feel the same way, I my biggest dream for my kids is to for them to find a passion and for me to have the means to support them developing that passion, like they have to learn to work for it and want it and work for it and do all those things. But if, um, and as they do that, if there's opportunities to develop that talent, I want to, that's what I want to do for them. I want them to find their, the thing that lights their fire and then be able to bring them opportunities to, you know, progress that. And my parents, um, very consciously when I went to New York, they knew I wasn't going to, like I wasn't going to slack off and party or blah, like I was going to be on Broadway and there was no give up in that. There was no um, taking no for an answer. And so I didn't have to have a job while I was in school in New York. I really just went to school, went to tap classes all the time. Our school there, American Academy of Dramatic Arts got us um, a lot of tickets, free tickets to everything like Broadway, off Broadway, off, off Broadway, opera, dance shows, comedy shows, you name it, um, they would have like flyers up on the wall and you would sign your name until they ran out of tickets. And I would see like three, two, three, five, six nights a week, I was out seeing some sort of cultural event, um, you know, and learning from that. One of the things I would say to, to you or to someone, if anyone's listening to this, who wants to do this for a living, like as an, on this side, I know that that's not the focus for you two, but on the acting side of things, see everything because if it's great, you're totally inspired. You're like, ah, oh, I want to be able to do that someday. And you're totally inspired by it. If it's terrible, where I was at that point, if it was something that was really not good, I was totally inspired by it because like that person's up there doing it. I can definitely do this, you know? So either way it was inspiring, whether it was great, you know, and in New York so often it is, you're like, oh, I just want to keep working so I can get to that level. And if it's bad, you're like, oh, okay, I could do this, you know? <laughs> so, but I was really lucky that my parents were so supportive and, um, and got to be in New York and really focus. And I would say of my growth period, like those three years where I was reading plays every week and seeing all these things and around other people who have similar passion, it was a real, real, um, real time of growth for me. Yeah. That's so amazing. What, like what a cool like journey to have got you to New York and everything. I think that's just so cool. So now your first playbill credit was in stand-up comic Jackie Mason's Laughing Room Only. Mm -hmm. Like tell us about tell us about that experience, how that was like and what how you booked it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, that's fun that you asked how I booked it cuz I would have told you that story anyway because um yeah, that was a crazy uh that was that was an interesting part of the journey. I'll just give you a little backstory up to that because I graduated from this school I was just talking about. Um, I worked right away in a play and got my equity card in an off-Broadway play. Uh, and then I didn't work for 10 months. I got a job at a, in Rock, at a law firm, Rockefeller Center, through a friend of mine just as a gopher, like filing and stuff, but became such good friends with the partners there. They let me leave and go to tap class. And... Um, you know, but all that time I'm thinking, okay, my Broadway show, I'm out of school now. In my acting school, you had to get invited back every year. There were over 200 in the first year, 64 in second year, and 18 in the third year. So once you get into that, you are showcased to agents and different things. And you come out feeling like, okay, I got a shot at this. 
But anyway, worked right away. Didn't work for 10 months. Got shows at Paper Mill. Got a show. You probably know Paper Mill, Jersey Goyles. Um, did a couple shows at Paper Mill and a, and a Pepsi commercial, and that sort of got me going. And then I worked regionally and at uh, New York City Opera for a couple seasons um, in really fun parts and toured for a year and stuff, but couldn't crack that Broadway nut. And that was the dream. And so I would, you know, and doing lots of fun, other New York things maybe, but couldn't quite get a Broadway show. And um, it's not easy. You know, the competition is hard. And and I'm, I'm a character guy. Uh, I always joke about, when I do my cabaret, I joke about how, um, you know, when I first moved to New York, all he wanted me to do was leading man parts, like, you know, the romantic, leading man parts. Um, but I found the tall, dark, handsome thing really hard to maintain. So I started playing uh, like chubby sidekicks and it, my career really took off. Um, but, um, it was a choice. That's incredible. It was a choice, you know, it was a choice. Um, so, uh, but always believing that it was coming. A lot of my friends, even of those 18 that made it through acting school, a lot of them, you know, went on to do other things, which is totally valid because, you know, it's a hard journey. You and um, you have to stick with it while everybody else tries, 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 fades away, fades away, fades. You just, for me, it was like, there was no option. Just keep going. And uh, so cut to Jackie Mason. Um, I'm just giving the context of coming up to that. And then had an audition. It was Jackie Mason, uh, you may or may not know, very famous comedian who had done several successful one-man shows on Broadway and decided he wanted to do a musical. And so it was Jackie Mason and five sort of character. He was looking for five character people to do songs and sketches, like a musical SNL almost with him at, at coming into each sketch in some way. Um, so I knew they wanted real characters, you know, a lot of stuff. So I made a real uh, risk in that audition. And even having never booked a Broadway show before, I was like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to do something really different. And you don't like when I'm telling young people or anybody about, you know, auditioning and coaching them on something, you don't really go in in character, right? You go in as you and you don't dress in costume. You dress maybe sometimes to imply a costume, but you don't go in costume. You know, as a professional, you go in, you're just showing them your talent, you're prepared, you do the work um, and you let them see if you fit into their puzzle, you know? Um, I didn't do that with this. I, I, I totally went in a character named Ernest Finkelstein, who's this hyperactive nerd character that I developed several years before doing summer stock while I was in university, uh, who had glasses with tape around the middle and thought, hi, I can't stay long because my mother's out in the car. <laughs> but she said if I came in here, there'd be people I could talk to. She didn't tell me there'd be this many people. <laughs> so I do this character, Ernest Finkelstein, right? And so the monitor of the audition comes out and is taking people in and sort of one before mine, I say, when you get to me, can you not introduce me as Robert Creighton? Can I just, I'm just gonna come in beside, like you open the door and I'm just gonna burst past you. So she came out and I was next and she, she just nodded at me and she went to go back in as she would with all the other actors, introduced her name. And I just came in and go, hi, I'm Ernest Finkelstein. I can't stay long because my mother's in the car. And I went, I said, I know I wrote, you want to hear me sing? I wrote a song. I take out a piece of paper, unfold the paper. Ernest Finkelstein is my name. It's true. You know, and I wrote this silly little song. And then <laughs> and I have, all, I do all these silly things. It's kind of like I check my fly and I say, you know, I terrible things, words I can't say like, um, uh, you know, I'm having a problem with a g -g 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 -g, with a g -g -g -g, with the girl, and I can't talk to my mother about a person of the opposite, the opposite, the opposite gender. I mean, you just can't do that, right? So I do this, I do this whole crazy character and all my little bits. Oh my god, I'm so scared. I realized anyway, I won't do the whole routine. And I finish, I finish, and I go, thank you very much. I go, go see my mom, and I walk out the door. And I literally, um, like I had my hair parted, I'll mess up my hair, throw off this jacket, these plaid pants, throw down, I have pants and a shirt underneath. Um, just I'm about to walk back in. I'm like, oh my God, that guy was crazy. And I walked over and said, hi, I'm Robert Creighton. Nice to meet you. Very calmly. Nice to meet you, Robert Creighton. Shook everybody's hand at the table. And then they started bursting, burst out laughing. They burst out laughing because the, before they're looking at me and they're kind of chuckling, but they're like, is this real? Is it not real? Like, what is happening? And then I came back in as me and we chatted and I got the job. They called me later that afternoon. I booked the job. So it was an absolute 100% risk. Could have gone either way. And um, 
that's how I booked my first Broadway show. And I always tell people, like, all the biggest career highlights for me have come from really taking risks when I, you know, trusting my instincts and taking a risk in that audition. The show, there was a long lead up to the show. We worked out of town for a few months in Nyack, um, doing it there. And then we came into the uh, Brooks Atkinson Theater and um, we only lasted for two weeks, previewed for a month, ran for two weeks, closed. Jackie Mason was not cut out to work with other people. He, if the audience wasn't responding the way he wanted, he would abandon the script that was setting up our whole musical number that we're about to do and do his old routine, whip them into a frenzy because he's really good comedian at the time. Um, and then we say we're doing a number about Starbucks and he'd finish his routine, nothing to do with Starbucks. And goes, oh no, a song about Starbucks. And we come out with no setup, no context. And it was like, Bruh. so um, it didn't last long, but it didn't diminish the joy and the exaltation of finally cracking that nut and being on Broadway. My whole family I had 23 people there opening night. Um, out, who, all my family, like mentor, director who had given me my start in Canada, older guy I'd worked with many times. So I called my comedy mentor. It was like close family, become a close family friend. They were all there. They're all in the audience opening night. Um, it was, you know, I'm bawling, crying during the curtain call. So I'm just so happy and grateful to achieve that dream. Yeah, and that sort of got me going. And then I've been really lucky. I've done eight Broadway shows now and lots of great fun lead roles and uh, originated several roles on Broadway. And yeah, it's been really, uh, it's been really wild since then. But um, that was the first one. Okay, I have to say. That that was probably the funniest audition story we've ever heard. And we've had oh. a lot of different ones, but that's probably one of the best we've ever heard. Oh, I was losing my mind. That crazy. was beautiful. It was crazy. <laughs> the fact that you still remember it to this day, too. I think that's incredible. The wow, it was a big moment for me. Like, yeah. uh, I, I imagine that must be like tattooed on your brain. <laughs> oh, for sure. Well, not just that particular incident, but the theory of taking the risk is what's tattooed on my brain and my soul. Not only in theater, but in life. When your instinct tells you, and you really believe that that's the right choice, sometimes it's not gonna be a win. You know, it could go either way sometimes. And I've had others, my Frozen audition story could have gone either way, because I, again, took a little risk. Um, but all, as I say, all the biggest wins, the biggest, biggest opportunities that have come for me have resulted from having this little voice inside that said, you know, wouldn't it be funny if I went in as Ernest Finkel? No one else is going to do that. That feels right. I know, you know, just go in, uh, go for it. And then, you know, and then doing it and then it pays off. I mean, the, that, so that is what's tattooed on my brain. And I talk myself into it about things even now in life as a parent and as, you know, deciding what to do after Broadway shut down and da, da, da. you know, there are uh, moments now where if my instinct is strong, um, I don't deny that. I, and even if it means taking a risk, uh, I, I have enough life experience now and I'm sharing it with you to say that um, the take, when you have an instinct that's strong and you believe it's a, the right instinct, it's coming from a good place, uh, then you got to go for it. That's when the good stuff happens. Yeah, absolutely. Here, endeth, sure. my, here endeth my speech to you. <laughs> Thanks for attending the TED Talk, folks. <laughs> exactly. I'm ready for that. <laughs> so after you did the comedy show, you went on to do Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, and then you had your first Disney gig, which is mm -hmm. the first time that you were working with Disney on Broadway. So you did Little Mermaid, right? Yes. So let's talk about that. Um, oh. A little bit jealous because I love that show. <laughs> and fun fact, that was the first Broadway show I saw, so... Maybe oh, I saw you in it. that would have been crazy you, if I saw you in it. If you, chances are you did. Um, do you know what year? Like when you saw it, it was two. It opened. I was 2000, four, so it was. It opened years January two thousand eight, and it ran till August uh, two thousand and nine. So Jesse, if you were four, then you saw it that first year. So then you definitely. Oh, saw I'm gonna. I'm, as soon as we're done, I'm, I'm gonna check my playbill and get that see. playbill. I have so, three Playbill binders and I will be looking through. Until oh, I love it. <laughs> I have, so, you know, we moved recently. I have boxes of Playbills because as I said, even when I was in acting school, like a long decades ago now, I kept every single Playbill, dated it, and I have them all. 
kept them in storage. My wife thinks I'm nuts. She's like, those gotta go. Pick your favorites, maybe or something, but gotta go because I boxes flavor. So that's my next. That's a project that's coming up. Um, but uh, Little Mermaid was when that was an audition. That that one I had five, maybe six. I think auditions for like to get into the show. It was a series of auditions, and then you had to. We had a Healy audition because that's how they were doing Under the Sea. Like we were on those shoes that have heels, so you had to learn how to use those, and they test you on that. And then. Um, I was auditioning uh, for Scuttle originally, the the Seagull, and it got down to uh, three guys. Um, and at that point, that was probably the most nerve wracking audition I had because it's Disney, it's Little Mermaid. They had uh, New World Stages was fairly new at the time. Audition was there. Had my own dressing room for an audition. Like you come and the guy leads you. Okay, you're gonna be in here, and we'll call you when it's your turn. You'll come on stage. Uh, you won't be able to see there's a lot of people out you know there was like tons of people out in the theater all disney executives and like the real high ups and then the theatrical people and blah 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 yeah so when anyway went through that whole process uh, i didn't get it but i got the understudy um and i understudied uh scuttle and chef louis and that's what i did for the first five months of the run um but i made a decision so we had been out of town denver for several months and um, I'm going to my philosophical things today, apparently, because uh, another thing that I think will, because um, you both sound, when we were talking beforehand, so, uh, you know, clear on what you want to do, which is amazing. And that is what's going to set you apart, like setting your path for that and making choices that relate to what your dreams and goals are, right? So for me, um, now this is my third Broadway show did the whole out of town try. I loved it. And I was never at a, I didn't, what I'm about to tell you, I didn't make this choice because I was ungrateful or frustrated. Or, I loved going to work. I loved being on stage with everybody performing, blah, blah, blah. But having understudied in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, uh, Goran, a uh, guy named Chip Sign, great actor, but I played a, one of the inventors and other little parts uh, in the ensemble and understudied that and went on, you know, uh, once in a while. And then Mermaid, I'm understudying Scuttle and Chef Louie. And we get to January. So we've opened and I'm up on this pod that used to circle over the audience. There were these big arms that went out and there were at, we were on them. I was in like, a, we're under the sea, under the sea in this onesie with wings. And I'm under, you know, like I'm a sea creature. And I had a ball and I loved doing it. But I made a choice. I can January two thousand eight. I it's in all I read. I've read it several times over the years in my journal where I, when I wrote about. It. And I said, um, I'm going to start playing leads. It was like new, you know, and it's New Year's. You're making resolutions. I said, I'm going to play leads on Broadway. I'm not going to be an ensemble anymore. I'm not going to understudy anymore. And not because I don't love love being it. It's very valid, and I loved it. But it wasn't where I knew I wanted to be ultimately, and I didn't feel it was where my talents. At the time, I was like, I know I can, I know I can do this. But because you can dance and do all the other things, sometimes you're more valuable in, you know, the ensemble um, and understudying several parts. Anyway, five months later, four months later, I got offered uh, Damn Yankees the Encore series. If you know what that is in New York at City Center, um, they have a summer one. It's about seven weeks long, and I was going to be playing Smokey, great role in Damn Yankees with Sean Hayes as the devil and Jane Krakowski and all these great people. And I asked for a leave of absence from Mermaid for a month. I could have done the seven week job, but only missed shows for a month. And they, they wouldn't grant me, you know, they were felt bad about it. It's too soon in the run. You know, it was just policy and they wouldn't grant me. I had a great relationship. With them. And so I, I left the show. I left what little mermaid, like what at the time they thought was going to be like Lion King, you know, it's going to run forever. And everybody's like, what are you doing? And I said, I made a choice that I'm gonna do, play lead roles now in New York and on Broadway. And that's what I put out there. Now it's been offered to me, it's manifested my, it, it's manifested itself here. And so how can I say no to that? That's what I asked for. So I did that and then a risk and then did that run. And then um, shortly after that, so that ran in the summer and then sometime in like, July or August, they said, we'd like you to come back and take over Chef Louis when John Tracy Egan, the guy originated the role, is leaving. And I uh, t 
Tom Schumacher, who's the head of Disney Theatrical, he, you just have to go sing. He, he hasn't seen you do the part. So I went to a boardroom at the Disney offices, Michael Cosner, the musical director. I sang, I love Les Poissons. So I sang Les Poissons, and there's a big high B flat, big high note at the end. And uh, they gave me the job on the spot. Tom Schumacher's like, you got the job. And so I did the last year of Little Mermaid as Chef Louis. But it would not have happened had I not left what was seemingly a very secure job, a Broadway job, to do a seven-week encore show because of a decision I made about choosing my path. And then subsequently, I've played lead roles. Uh, you know, those were the first three Broadway shows. And then the last five have all been, um, you know, lead roles. Uh, I've only understudied in there once and it was Joel Gray. So I had a lead part, but I also understood Joel Gray opposite Sutton Foster. So that you don't say no to. Um, and I left playing Amos in Chicago on Broadway to do that. So uh, that was, a, again, a choice. But um, yeah, so Little Mermaid was a wonderful experience. Um, still have great, really great life friends and relationships and colleagues collaborators from that uh from that particular show people who i'm very very close to okay i love this philosophical energy we've got yeah, going good. i think that it's so well, i feel exciting oh, like no 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 no. you you go <laughs> well, no just that um you know i love that you're doing this that you're taking this initiative and and at your age and um and then you have these visions of what you're going off to do and these passions and stuff and so i don't know it's just coming out of me i feel like i want to offer this these nuggets to you i don't mean it in a um i hope you take them as uh, not in a condescending way i hope you don't oh, feel yeah, no. at all no we no, love, no i just love. like <laughs> just cuz i still as i say it to you i'm saying it to myself i never you never stop it's not like oh i got it all figured out I've had a, I had a rough day today, <laughs> to be honest with you, um, you know, with my kids homesick from school and uh, just trying to get a lot of stuff done and also get them going for the day. Um, so I say this to you and it, it, I'm glad that we're talking about it because it also reinforces it for myself, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I'm saying it to me and you. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are loving it. This is so, Good. so, so I'm cool. Glad. And I think that just the idea of, you know, making those active decisions of, going forth and finding, forging your path. That's incredible. Yeah, I think it's important. You, you touched on Chicago. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I have to ask you about this because I, I really love Chicago. <laughs> She's gonna geek so out good. about this. I'm gonna geek <laughs> out about this. So you did Amos, which is, yeah. I'm gonna say it's controversial. My favorite role in the show. It's so yeah. good, such a cool, such a cool part. I guess kind of how did you approach that character? Just purely for my selfish curiosity. <laughs> no, Emily, it, uh, Mr. Cellophane is truly one of the great songs in musical theater. You are, you've hitched your exactly. way to a great horse in the show Chicago. Um, uh, I auditioned for that show. I felt like I was at the time, I, I was kind of young for it. And the guys who played it were usually really like, look different than me heavier and you know um but uh i had sort of my own take on it you know um he was kind of very new york uh chicago chicago but chicago kind of a little you know rough guy as opposed to the he was a little rougher and dimmer than meek um and uh anyway got the part I loved singing that song more than any song I think I've sung on Broadway every night because as an actor, it was just a monologue that where you smiled, you know, at the end you're smiling and, you know, cellophane, mister. But yet by the end, I would have a tear coming down my face, even though I was trying to smile through it, you know, and holding that at the end where you sing the big last note. Uh, and and no one even hears you, and then I I hope I didn't take up too much of your time. And you walk off. I mean, it just it's just a song that you have to get out of the way of the song. Just say the words, be fully into it, and it just crushes the audience every night, you know. And if you try and do, you don't gild the lily as they are. Try and add on too many things. Just do the song the way it 
you know, simply with, uh, you know, with great intention. And, and it's just such a great acting exercise every night. I, I loved it so much. And the, just the music, the vibe with the band on stage and, uh, and I, and it, I cycled through a few different like Billy Flynn's and um, Roxy's. Uh, I started with Charlotte Dambois, you know, he's a little older than me, but such a great actor in the scene where I came in about the baby and then we're sitting on the stage in front of the band and, you know, you could feel the audience like with you and, um, and uh, Brett Barrett as Billy Flynn. Oh, Bianca Marikine was one of my other rocks. He's just this ferocious talent. Oh, I fell in love with her doing that um, on stage. And, um, uh, do, Coleman Domingo, do you know Coleman? He's a big, he just, was he nominated for an Oscar? Golden Globe, you know, he's, he's become a big movie star, but he was great, played opposite him for a little while. And yeah, it was, it was a thrilling um, experience. And then, and then Anything Goes came up and it was a smaller role, a purser, but um, it just was uh, really roundabout, um, understudying Joel Gray, Sutton Foster, a million other great actors in it. So I left Chicago to go do that. Actually overlapped for a month, which is, you know, just like you're living the dream. I, I couldn't believe, I just like, if anyone saw me walk around New York, I probably was about this far off the ground walking around because I'm, I'm at rehearsal, I'm leaving rehearsal, but I'm going to my Broadway show for, for another Broadway show. <laughs> you know, it never happens. And I was, I could just remember being so like, how's this happening to me? This is the best thing ever, so. Um, but yeah, I loved Chicago. I, I'd like to, I'd like to do it again. I would if you do it again, please let me know. <laughs> I will be. We there. will be there the first show. Yay, I love Chicago so much. It's not even okay. So you did. So you leave Chicago to do anything goes, and you're mentioning this kind of overlap. So rehearsal during the day, and then killing it in Mr. Cellophane, the best number in the show at night. <laughs> how did you balance that? Like, how was that kind of interim period for you? Yeah, you know, um, you, the one thing I've been blessed with in my life is a lot of energy. Like that's, I just am very fortunate uh, that way. Um, and I remember feeling like, uh, like sometimes I guess I would go after rehearsal, take a little nap in my dressing room and then do, you know, eat and do the show and stuff. But basically I found I was energized by what was happening there because it was sort of a perpetual adrenaline rush the thought that I was getting to do one Broadway show and rehearse with these amazing people this other and tap dance during the day and stuff I, I uh, there was no need for balance in terms of you know um, yeah I had a, a relationship but that was just you know everybody was excited for everybody and uh, you know I was I was just living my dream fully you know so I didn't feel like oh this is hard or you know I've never, I, I'm, I'm really lucky that way. Like even doing, I was starting my third year of Frozen, which I never thought I would have done the Duke of Wesselson for, for that long. But I, I loved that job. I loved my dressing room mates. As I said, I have small kids and it fit with my life so well. Um, I was just so happy going to work and it was never like, I love doing eight shows a week. I love, you know, I didn't always love rehearsing being called for rehearsal for certain things, although I didn't have to rehearse a lot, I, very little for my track. Um, uh, but but um, I, love it. I love it so much that it never feels like I'm struggling. You ask about balance, there's more, it was more struggle with that in terms of family. Once I had a family, um, kids and doing a show, then, then you're really, I'm conscious of balance. Uh, the show I did leading up to Frozen was a show called Cagney um, about the life of James Cagney, actor from the 1930s. Uh, do you know? Um, do you know who he is, James Cagney? Oh, I feel like now I need to go watch. A hey bunch guys, of <laughs> I I gotta go. Okay, I'm sorry. It's been really fun talking to you. <laughs> but yes, your homework. I'm gonna send you a little list of your top movies to watch. It's I okay. will 1,000%. You'll be up until 2 a.m. tonight watching. <laughs> Good. I would have been shocked if you did because do you know the movie Yankee Doodle Dandy? Have you ever seen that? Come on. Yeah. Your parents yeah, yeah, watch yeah. it. Fourth of July. That's James Cagney. A lot of, I look a bit like him. 
Anyway, it was my dream in acting school to create a show about his life. This is a whole nother 45 minutes. So I won't, but it, this was, this was the, the real dream was creating the show about James Cagney. Um, started writing it and then uh, needed, you know, needed help finding my way into that. And I started collaborating, uh, wrote, wrote the music and lyrics, um, a bunch of which is still in there and then collaborated with someone else to flesh that out. And we did it in Florida a couple of times in Canada and then the York Theater in New York and got a commercial producer and did uh, a run that became 15 months at the West Side Theater on 43rd Street uh, in 2016-17. Did that did that did the lab of frozen while i was doing that and then that went right had a month off and then into frozen um but that was the reason i talk about that is because for me i was on stage show was two hours and five minutes and i was probably on for an hour and 55 of those two hours i was on for two hours a night major tap dance numbers all night fighting scenes shouting involved in 11 songs singing uh it was um yeah, it was an athletic endeavor. It was a marathon and trying to, and with my kids being very young at that point, like three and uh, five when it started, um, trying to get enough sleep so my voice could recover and all those things. When we did it, the first run in New York was a five-week run, um, opened on a Thursday. I guess we previewed for five shows or so, and then we, so uh, a weekend, and then um opened and then that Sunday night so the Sunday night of the second week went out to dinner at friends in town seeing the show my wife was at the show we went out we're waiting at the restaurant sharing I was drinking just drinking water and stuff but sharing one little drink because I, I was like still recovering the show well anyway they come we're every, friends are there yay they were at the matinee and then they're at dinner and yay da, 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 and everybody's talking 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 we order and stuff I passed out uh like at the restaurant um for over a minute and like towel of ice around my neck my buddy had and blah, blah. well it turns out i was so depleted from doing the show so dehydrated and so because the show i at that point i hadn't learned how to for the long run i got a, i had a nutritionist and a health routine and i i was like i was on a supplements like an nfl player would take because every day i would just you know, I would lose weight every night when I did the show. I could eat anything I wanted. I was the skinniest I've ever been and fittest I've ever been in my life. It's crazy. But that run, I, I um, yeah, I literally passed, I passed out at the restaurant because and I had to go see Dr. Sammy, the heart guy. My heart was totally great. He just said, you are, uh, you're just, by the second show of the week, you're completely dehydrated and you can never catch up. You have to do all these things afterwards and you're not eating enough. And so um, you live and learn. But that, I found physical balance when I did the long run and uh, and balance with family trying to engage. That's why Frozen was so great because I didn't, my part was so much fun. Do you guys see Frozen? So Wesselton, I'm in it enough, you know, uh, that you're very present, but I would finish um, my scene and go back up and watch a little hockey game or read a book and, you know, and then come back on to another scene and then come back off and chat with somebody and, you know, whatever. And then I could get up early with my kids and drive them to school. My wife runs her own business and um, she'd be working and stuff, but I would take, you know, and I didn't have to worry all the time about my voice and my body uh, like I did during Cagney. That's why I loved doing it. I mean, I loved Cagney was, I'm talking too much now. The Cagney experience was amazing, but it took everything out of me all week and trying to be able to do that enough eight hours a week and save enough to do the show, but also engage fully with my young kids was very challenging. Uh, but also great, also great. And I did it, which shocked me that I could do it and learned that I could do it, made me stronger in every possible way, vocally, physically, mentally. Uh, and so Frozen was like a real gift after that. So. Wow. That's balance. Balance. <laughs> to sum it up, balance. Yeah. So now going into Frozen, this is your third Disney Broadway show. Mm -hmm. So how did that experience differ from the other ones or... Just what was that experience like? It's a great question. Um, as big as I thought Little Mermaid was, and then my second Disney show, I did a year in Toronto in The Lion King, and then eight months in LA, and then four months on Broadway as Timon um, in The Lion King. That was already a machine that was running. It was very exciting when we did it in Toronto because it was the only the second production of Lion King after New York. Um, but Frozen was a whole different animal than those two. I'm sure Lion King might've been the same at the beginning, 
but Frozen is the biggest Disney movie ever, you know? And uh, so therefore there was, it was a massive machine of pressure for a lot of people. I didn't personally feel it as much, but you did feel it like, cause sometimes John Lasseter would come to rehearsal and sit in the middle, you know, who produced Pixar and, blah, 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 and, and all the big Disney mucky mucks would be there at a run through. And, um, you know, that all eyes were on it and it was, it's a global pro franchise. So it wasn't just like you're doing a Broadway show. You're doing this giant thing that everyone feels so strongly about and all little girls are just like looking up to and um, bringing it to the stage. Uh, so it did feel different in that way. It was heightened for sure. And everybody was aware of that. Um, and I think that affected like I loved it all the way along. I think it was very challenging for some people involved because the, um, you know, Casey and Patty are the most amazing women. I just, I, I love them as people. First of all, they're dear friends and I love them. They're also amazing professionals. Um, but there's no question there was a lot of pressure on them throughout, you know, I don't think they were separated from the pressure. They, they felt it, you know, and they were responsible for a lot of things that, but they're both, they're both up for it and, and rose to the occasion, but, it, um, you know, it wasn't normal in that way where it's just a Broadway show, not any Broadway show is a big deal because a lot of money involved and a lot of eyes on it, but, but, um, yeah, this one was different for sure. And then once we got rolling, uh, you know, it was really fun. It was just really fun. And doing the Tony Awards, that was the second time I got to do the Tony Awards. And that was just, just, it's, you know, I had a small, I walked down, I have a great entrance in Frozen, the big giant doors. And on the front, I walked down straight down center with my two giant guards. And in the show, they dressed me, you know, they made my coat after Denver, they made my coat even longer, went right to the coat, to the floor for the second act. So I looked mini up there with these two great big tall guards. And, but my entrance was like, Wow, with the big red sash and down the middle. So I got to do that in the Tony Award, singing away. It's like I'm walking and singing. It's no big deal. It's not when I did anything goes, I was tap dance. Sutton Foster's here and I'm here and we're tap dancing away in the middle of the TV. You know, I'm like inside my heart's at an all-time high level because you're like, don't screw up, just concentrate. But this one, I was like, yeah, it's gonna be easy. I walk, I sing, no big deal. And then uh and and so I wasn't nervous at all until we got to radio, even that rehearsal at Radio City, I was like, oh, this is, wow, Radio City. The last time I did it before that was at the Beacon Theater, um, the one year they did the Beacon. And uh, then that night though, when we got there and we, you know, you get dressed at your theater and they take you over on a bus and you get out and you go in. And then I was like, what is going on? The butterflies in my stomach, why am I so nervous? Calm down, man, you just have to walk and sing. But it, it was, it's so big. So everybody who's in theater and all the people you grew up with are, you know, and there you are walking down, you know, camera on you. And yeah, it was amazing. But isn't that what we do? it? For? That's what I do it for. You know, it's like that feeling of butterflies, but then doing it anyway. So yeah, Frozen was different and, and so grateful to have been a part of it. I'm super sad when they announced it wasn't coming back after Broadway, even when Broadway reopened, it was, oh, that was super sad. Yeah. yeah, that one hit hard. That one hit me hard. <laughs> but Emily and I definitely know that feeling of the butterflies, but oh. although it's so scary, it's like the best feeling in the world. Yeah, that's right. You're living. That means you're living full. You're there. You're in it. It's great. 1000%. It's like, it's this unique adrenaline. I don't know. There's something about it. Yep. Gotta love it though. So you're kind of talking about this, like this pressure that you're feeling, especially in the, in the early stages of that show once you kind of got to opening, did that kind of let off or was it still like every day you, you were coming to work, you were like, oh, this is, this is big. <laughs> well, we had different stages, right? So we did a lab. I was part of a lab in New York where it was five weeks and we, you know, that was a big deal. I spent a lot of money on that. And you're, you're in part, not really, in, you're not in a costume at all. There's some props, there's some footwear, you know, it's choreographed. They have the two big princess beds built and other little set pieces, but but that was highly pressurized because they're, you know, they're really trying to work it out. Even the creative team is kind of auditioning for their job at that point. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and the run through that we did at the end of it, the couple run throughs, 
there's like 200 people in the in this rented theater, but they're all like Disney executives and marketing people and, and everybody's scrutinizing heavily. You know, it's very pressurized. And then the Denver out of town tryout, we had so much fun out there and my family came out and we did, we had a blast, but you felt the pressure of, okay, this is frozen and they're trying to get it right. And, you know, it was a big deal. And, and so leading up to the, to the um, Broadway opening, first of all, longest tech of any show I've ever been in, both in Denver and then we did it all again for Broadway. Just, uh, I think we had a month of tech, which is long, you know, and there's so many long days and, um, but it was amazing to watch it come to life. Like what a process to be part of. And so opening, um, opening night was amazing for Frozen. The party, I, I'd been at the 20th anniversary of Lion King a few months before. Now that was a spectacular Broadway party. I mean, they did everything right. We got, if you'd been in the cast on Broadway, you had tickets like house seats, you're right down front. So we're all there watching the show and seeing everybody I know on Broadway. Uh, my wife and I go and then the curtain comes down and comes back up and Elton John's on stage and he sings and everybody's, you know, it's like, and then the party was just spectacularly done. And then Frozen, I thought it was going to be the greatest opening night party of all time. And it was, and my, my brother and his wife were there from Canada and my best friend from Canada, his wife. And, um, you know, my wife and I and brought them. And I said, this is going to be spectacular. Black tie. Wife has done Rent the Runway with this unbelievable gown. My wife's a knockout anyway. And she's like, looks like straight off the runway. She's just spectacular. And then we're at this, anyway, we're at this thing that felt like a club. Like, couldn't see anything. Couldn't see anybody. Went up. You know, I'm one of the leads in the show. I go to this area and the guy's like, can't go in here. It was like this nice sort of seating area. And there's like four people in there. He's like this VIP something. And I was like, dude, the casts are at Broadway opening. The casts are the VIPs generally. Like you're treated like, you know, the people involved in the, in the production. And um, they're like, anyway, I shouldn't, I shouldn't diss it. That's terrible. We'll edit this part out. Um, but it was a disappointing opening night party. It did not fit the, uh, the buildup at all. Um, didn't matter. My family was there. We we ended up. We're like, eh, we had a great time, and we had the actors sort of found each other eventually, and we had a great we had a great night. And the next day, went to a day spa with the six. You know, it was like celebrating, living the dream again. Um, and but that doesn't answer your question. Sorry, I still obviously am hurt by the fact that, that party wasn't the greatest thing of all time. But did the pressure lay off? Um, uh, that's a great question. I think it, I mean, for me, then it became the joy of doing a run of a Broadway show. I loved my dressing room mates. We just came to work. I loved my dresser. I had relationships with all the crew guys, still play poker online with the crew guys. You know, um, I just loved going to work. So I didn't really feel pressurized by it. There were time, there were moments where things would come up and, you know, we'd have a cast meeting and, and, and there were always, there were always like celebrities and constantly, do like other people coming and stuff like that. But it didn't, for my, in my journey, it didn't affect me. Like I had a great, I just like going to work. I had a great time right there on 44th street, St. James theater. doesn't get any more iconic than that. So yeah, the pressure laid off. I would say it laid off a bit after the fact for me, it's like, I didn't think about it. So I will say this though, they started each year. You had to get invited back to your role. Like as a principal, you're on a one-year contract. So there were certain people, like there were some people didn't get invited back each year and not because they weren't fantastic, obviously, but sometimes they just wanted something different in that role or they brought in someone who was known on the Disney channel to do, you know. Um, and so I, I guess I felt that a little bit, but I was like, I don't know why they would, you know, I was just, I couldn't control that and I'm doing the best I can. So I, I just chose not to worry about it and kept getting renewed. So I was fortunate, but um, yeah, but it was a great experience. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I guess kind of Frozen as a whole, like you mentioned, it's this iconic like monopoly almost at this point. I guess, why do you think Frozen in particular, like doing that show, how did you see that resonate with audiences and why do you think that was the case? Well, I think it resonated in so many ways and relevant ways these days. I mean, those 
though to have um, two women as the central characters and to have their journeys, uh, you got to see more of like Elsa's backstory and Anna's backstory in the play than you did in the movie. And I think that I, I think there are so many great lessons to young women in there um, about owning your strength. And, um, you know, it, 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 at the end, they choose the love, the family love, as opposed to needing the love of uh, a man or a, another person. You know, they chose their sister over it all. And some of the other stuff worked out. But that's, you know, there's so many great lessons in there. And uh, I think it was very timely in that way. And I think it will continue to resonate for young people, especially young women. Um, I think I loved personally when um, Aisha was the understudy, she's black. And, and um, when she played Princess Anna, I thought it, it uh, resonated. I have like personal stories at the end where um, I was out signing programs and this, um, uh, you know, Aisha's there and this mother, I can remember this one in particular with this mother with her two daughters and um, the mom, they were, uh, the mom was white, kids were black, it was the mother and she's crying and she she, cause her daughters had said to her mom, she looks just like me. You know, the princess Anna looks just like me. And I was like, <laughs> I'm like signing programs cry cause it was so moving to know that she had impacted these little, those little girls will remember that for the rest of their life. I think that's why on Broadway now there's, you know, it's been such a great, it's gonna be a lot of things change from 14 months ago because of Black Lives Matter and other things, a lot of, a lot um, important and better representation in various ways on Broadway. I got to see it. I, so that was one thing that really resonated. Um, you know, the, the casting of Frozen was, uh, you know, very interracial and, and all different shapes and sizes and ages and skin tones and you name it. And I think that that is a great message for young people to see. It doesn't, you know, um, so that it resonated in that way and, and Disney's good at that and they'll continue to do that and hopefully even do it more, you know? So the messages and that fact I think was really good. Um, yeah. I did, Wesselton didn't have a big song, like a big aria, which I think was disappointing for the for the audience personally. Mm -hmm. But um, <laughs> maybe one day. <laughs> one day. Well, I pitched um, Bobby and Kristen Lopez. I said, you know, we were joking. Denver would be like, "You guys working on my song? What's the deal?" You know. <laughs> I wrote one actually, uh, a funny one, which I ended up in the aisle during tech one day. The assistant director, because I had joking sang it for him and he's like singing your song I was like not a chance and he's like sing it for saying they're like come on let's hear it so i sang a little bit and they're like hey that's pretty good we're not gonna use it but it's good <laughs> oh my god that's the woo and wed a queen uh, uh how's it go <laughs> i want uh, a duke is just a duke where i'm from I've seen some queens with means who are teens, but none as fair as this. I wrote this song. It was all my inner subtext while I'm standing waiting to meet them at the ball. And in my dream, it, in my little version, when I wrote this song, they're having their little thing and they go into silhouette and the special comes on Wesselton and he sings this song about how he's going to woo and wed the queen and become the, the um, king of uh, Arendelle and stuff. A duke is just a duke where I'm, a duke is just a duke where I'm from. I'll never rise above. Anyway, it's been it's been a couple of years since I thought of that song. I'll get back to you on that. Oh my god, I really wish that I made it into the show. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't so that now, have been something? You mentioned that you definitely think that there's going to be changes when Broadway reopens, and we definitely agree. So, what do you think you're looking forward to the most in terms of life post shutdown on Broadway? Well, I think that um, you know I'm not a I. I I'm not a producer, but I think that, and I hope that producers are understanding that there has been an underrepresentation um, on Broadway. And I'm hoping, so what I'm looking for is that there is, uh, you know, in all sorts of shows, not just in shows that are typically, uh, you know, which are um, black shows or, you know, mostly white shows with just a couple people of color in it or something like that, that there is, uh, you know, you're seeing 
people of color in roles where where you never have before, you know, and I hope that's happening because it should be happening. And, um, you know, and I for me, you know, last summer, I remember thinking, you know, and as with kids, you know, I was educating myself about a lot of things. So as uh, one of the things becoming instead of, you know, I would call myself obviously a non-racist, but becoming an anti-racist, right? As opposed to a non-racist and sort of learning what that means and, da, 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 and how does that translate into my workspace and my career space and being an ally and a supporter of those people who are trying to um, bring change to it, you know? So I don't expect to be personally, if I'm called upon, I would be, but I, you're not like maybe out front with a voice, but you're standing right there behind going, Yes, and as needed, and I'll sign that, and I'll be there to show up for that, and I'll walk, I'll march for that, et cetera, you know, um, because I think change is important, um, you know, and I think, I think it's happening, hopefully it's happening in, in lots of different areas, but I love Broadway. I mean, I love it. I love Broadway. I love the community. I love the people. I like the people backstage, people on stage, I like going with Broadway. I just can't wait for it to be humming again, you know? And um, for it to be bringing the joy that it does, you know. Um, so we'll see how that all we'll see how that all plays out. Yeah, but I miss it. So do we. We are very excited for it to return. Yeah, good. Back and be better than ever. Good, guys. So I, I, I. You know what I have to do? Go cook dinner. You heard before here, my wife is out, but I, I gotta, I gotta wrap this up kind of soon. I'm so sorry. I love talking to you. This is amazing. So I guess um, we'll wrap it up with this one then. Um, yeah, like give me two more or something. I don't know. Sure. But. So um, you, we talked a little bit about your kids and getting to have a family now. And we yeah. talked a little about this before we started filming, but um, I guess kind of, if you want to talk about sort of how you've gotten to share the arts with your kids and any particular memories that stand out there? I, um, Emily, I think about it all the time. The, I wonder what my kids will remember about, for example, when I would bring them to the St. James between shows, they'd come, my wife bring them in maybe from, we lived in New Jersey, but right across the Hudson in, in North Bergen, Western New York area, and take the bus in. And I was two blocks away from Port Authority. I'd meet them, we'd go for dinner together and then um they'd come up to my can we go they always wanted to come into the theater and see everybody so i'd take them down to the hair room and it was like hi rj hi sam and they'd talk to the hair ladies and then uh go up to my dressing room and they would always leave uh, there was a stash of candy at one of the guys stations and they'd put it in kevin delagula who played oaken's boots so they all he always knew my kids were there because they would put little candies in his boots and stuff and um, we go out on stage and I have pictures of RJ and Sam dancing on stage, you know, on, on the frozen stage, St. James. And, um, and I wonder about what they're going to remember from these, like, you know, I, it's just fun for me to think that they got to be at the St. James, you know, at a Broadway theater, just hanging out and, and, uh, you know, hanging out in the dressing room and seeing all the cool things backstage and stuff. It's, you know, it's unique, I think for a kid. And I love, I, I love that they've been in the theater. They know how to be in the theater. They know how to sit and watch a show, even at a young age and not talk and not be distracted and look at things. And, um, you know, I, I, I like that. I like that they're going to grow up knowing how to be in the theater. I hope someday something, you know, I'm, I'm older than you guys uh, by, you know, decades. I, get frustrated by the phone stuff in theaters. I really do. I just think it's, it's such a unique art form um, where you want to come and let it wash over you. Like, I wish there was a way to like digitally block everyone's phone when they walk in. So you like go across a force field, you sit in your seat and your phone only can receive like 911 messages or something, you know, other than that, it's shut down. I completely um, agree. Yeah, but it's I would just love to see that. <laughs> right. So I don't know why I said that, but my, I like that my kids know the importance of sitting and, and respecting, you know, and giving their energy to what's happening on stage. Um, and just disconnecting they, from social media for a while. Yeah, exactly. This, this we listen to the Broadway, the XM Broadway channel in the car all the time. They sing, um, they have like a whole repertoire of The Sound of Music and Mary Poppins and uh, um, 
Peter Pan and um, what are some of the fun, what's one of the fun ones my son was just, oh, he was singing Flounder. He's saying she's in love. So we would, I should bang on his wall. He's right there and say, come give them a little treat and sing uh, she's in love. And he just wails on it. And and uh, Sam and I do the other, the mermaids. Uh, and then he, hey, Flounder, you notice anything funny about Ariel? Yeah. She treats me, uh, 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 just treats me like sashimi left over from last week. And he just rocks out and sings. So, um, you know, I love that, that they're growing up in a music. That excites me. And I, I don't have any expectations for their, what their passions will ultimately be and where they will follow their dreams. But um, I know that right now, for me, I love that I'm sharing all that with them. And I think it, it's a life enhancer for them. It certainly is for me that they are into it, you know? So, yeah, it's fun. I, I'm, they're like my little, you know, we've been very philosophical throughout this conversation. Well, my poor kids, they get it all the time. They're like, you know? You got to want it. You got to, you know, we don't say can't in this house. We say I can or I need a little help. Those are the only two options, but we don't say can't, you know, so they get a lot of philosophy from me. Oh, that's amazing. I love it. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's a great note to end on so that you can go make dinner. It's <laughs> <That's> my <laughs> job tonight. <laughs> this has been truly incredible. Like it's been amazing to get to talk to you, Robert. Thank you so much for taking the time today. It's been amazing to get to hear your stories and soak in your philosophy. And thanks, Emily. Thanks, Jesse. Thanks for asking. Well, and I wish connect, to connect with Robert on Instagram, follow at R Creighton NYC, where you can keep up to date on his latest projects. And be sure to follow Theatrical Thoughts at Theatrical Thoughts Podcast on Instagram as well. That's great. You guys are dynamite. I wish you all I, I you're going to be running something big someday. I can just feel it. It's good. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank it's you so much. Pleasure. Wouldn't it be cool? Someday you'll be sign languaging a show that I'm in, Jess, and we'll, we'll reconnect. It'll be great. That's the hope. <laughs> I love it. Good luck to you both. Thanks for, uh, thanks for chatting. It was fun. Thank you so much for taking the time. We cannot tell you how much we appreciate it. You bet. My pleasure. It was great. All right. Thank you so much for listening Bye. and we'll see you in the next one. Bye. Bye.